Welcome back to the RN to Writer show. I'm your host, Elizabeth Haynes, and I'm a nurse who built a successful writing business. And today I help other nurses do the same thing. And today on the show, we are welcoming Robbie Scholes with Cook Wealth. Robbie is from Conway, South Carolina. He's a graduate of the University of South Carolina in economics. Oh, I, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> and finance. Um, he has, he lives in the Raleigh area. He is an avid CrossFitter, lived in Slovakia, which I'm sure was really fascinating. I would love to do that. I want to take my show on the road one of these days, the RN to Writer show, like coming to you from Barcelona. Um, and he's a certified financial planner. He's a CFA level three candidate. I don't know what that means, but it sounds very impressive. I just do cool things with people's portfolios and talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> and in the interest of full disclosure, Robbie and Cook Wealth are the official financial management team for our writer. However, we do not have any uh, affiliate type financial relationship with you all. We don't make any money from having you on the podcast or saying people should check out Cook Wealth. So I just wanted to make sure that was out there. Welcome aboard, Robbie. Glad to be here with you. And thanks for the intro. I loved how you picked Barcelona, Spain as a warm climate uh, for your for your roadshow, especially this time of year. Not a bad choice. Exactly. So um, I really appreciate your being on the show because especially in our advanced advanced coaching program, the RN Writer Stat Program, um, I get asked a lot by nurses what to do about retirement plans when you're self-employed. I mean, all of us who are nurses come from a background of having an employer. And so that's very familiar to every one of us. But when you're self-employed, suddenly it's all on you. Um, so could you talk a little bit in general about what options are available to people, to self-employed people for retirement? Yes, I'd be glad to. And I guess at the very onset, just say, don't stop planning for it because it's coming. Um, we're all headed in the same direction and one day want to enjoy retirement. And whether we have that robust auto enrollment feature that's just so great with a you know a, a company match and a very simple pay stub and all of those things that we all grew accustomed to loving, uh, when that goes away, the need to plan for retirement does not go away. Uh, so the, the I'd say the wrapper or the mechanism by which someone should plan for retirement, it's going to differ between different situations, both income levels, places you might live, your tax situation, your place in life, how much you could save. Um, but uh, it, it's important that you don't stop that process, that you keep giving to it. I know it doesn't feel as satisfying when you don't have that company match or that uh, 3%, 4%, even more sometimes that it's so nice to have, uh, okay, well, I know if I do this, the company is going to do that. Well, you might, even without that, you need to continue to save. You, sometimes you need to continue to defer dollars, lower your tax bill now. Um, you, need to, you need to be making progress towards those goals because they're coming, they're still down the road, um, and you need, you need to find some kind of wrapper um, to invest and to continue to save towards that retirement plan. I had no idea until you just said this, unless I misheard you, that your location can make a difference in like what you're doing or what you intend to do. 
with your retirement? It can, because people are going to retire in different states. Uh, we at Cookwell have clients all across the country. Uh, some of them live in places where they're going to get taxed at a much higher rate. Um, the state tax rates may be higher. There are certain states that tax Social Security on top of income. So if you're in a state that has a high tax rate and taxes Social Security, maybe it tops out at 9 or 10% on top of your federal rates. All of a sudden, where you get your money from and how it's taxed once you get to retirement makes a big difference. Now, there are also a lot of people who choose to retire to Florida, I'm sure for the weather, but also for the tax situations, states like Texas and others that don't have state income taxes. And so there may be reasons to plan a certain strategy or certain dollars in certain places because of the place that you live now or you intend to live uh, down the road. Interesting. See, this is why I love doing this show because I learned so much. So going back for a second, when you were talking about wrappers, you said, you know, it's important to have a wrapper to put your retirement in. I'm assuming you're talking about like traditional IRA, Roth IRA, um, SEP, Simple, 401k, those types of plans is what I'm assuming you meant by that. And so as a self-employed person, which of those options do you have to choose from? Yeah, you you might have more than one of them at your disposal. And depending on who you go to talk to or how you search online, you might find yourself, well, maybe I should consider this one or that one. At the very base level, uh, a personal IRA, you mentioned traditional IRA or Roth IRA, those are great, uh, can be great places to start. Now, the, the thing that's best about those is they're incredibly easy. There's no reporting requirements and, you know, you don't have to go and, you know, get all kinds of, uh, of other IRS reports for your plan each year. It's just a personal retirement account. The downside is, is it is limited on your income level for the Roth. And it's limited to the amount you can put in, which uh, is is six currently six thousand dollars per year. A little bit higher if uh, if you're above the age of fifty for a catch up contribution. But if you're thinking, well, really, I'm at the place where I need to be saving more than um, more than five hundred dollars a month, or I'm able to, then that might not be the best wrapper for you. And that's where we would then have the conversation about, well, there's others out there. There. Um, the, the, the term solo or UNIK, solo 401k, might sound kind of intimidating because anytime someone comes from the world of 401ks, they may have had an HR department or something where the, that was a big complex thing. Every pay, pay period, they had to figure out how much they were doing from their paycheck. Um, solo 401ks are very different in that uh, solo 401ks only work if you're the only employee. So if you're a freelance writer, sole proprietor, there's nobody else in your business, um, you may have the opportunity to open one of those up. And the, the ability to put more money in opens up inside of a solo 401k. So you can put in um, you know, upwards of $20,000 per year, and then even a portion as the employer. When you, so you have to put on your employee hat, and you can put in some money, and then you take that hat off, and you grab the other hat, grab your employer hat, and you can put some more money in from that side. It's not an exact science and there's all kinds of calculations that you don't want me to go into right now. All that said, you can put in a significant portion of money and uh, for the first few years of those plans, until they reach $250,000 in them, they're very simple from a reporting, compliance, setup, 
um, maintenance, they can be really simple. So um, that's that's one that we often find small business owners choose, uh, or especially individual business owners love, is it gives you the flexibility. It's it remains simple like an IRA. And then if you end up uh, moving on from writing, you can always move that into a personal IRA account down the road. Oh, that's interesting. So does your choice of, um, um, come on, Beth, you, you, I know you have the words for this. Does your choice of business structure affect the options that are available for you as a business setting up a retirement plan like if you just decide to be a sole proprietor, which I don't honestly, I'm not an accountant and or a lawyer and I'm not giving legal or accounting advice, but to me, the tax implications of being a sole proprietor make that not the best choice. Um, so like if you choose to set up as a single member LLC, for example, does that open any doors to your options? It, it mostly opens the solo 401k option as uh, maybe the simplest and biggest pool that's out there. It also opens the door for uh, people who are maybe want to save a significant amount to start an uh, employee pension. Um, they, those were called defined benefit plans. Now, without getting into, like I said, all the nerdism of numbers and things, um, pension plans are typically thought of as I worked at a big corporation, they had a cool pension, and then they got rid of it and they started offering a 401k. Um, nobody thinks about being a sole proprietor and having a pension, but it's quite often a great vehicle to save into. And because the formulas that these actuaries, and I'm thankfully not an actuary, um, that, that, that would not be in my mind a very easy role. These actuaries have these formulas that are very complicated for big companies. But if you're one person, you have one employee and one number, and they will tell you how much you can put into your own pension plan. And it's often a really, really large percentage of your salary. So if you have clients or uh, or folks that work with you that might have big income years because they have uh, some kind of payout from their business, some kind of compensation, something unexpected, an inheritance that's going to be taxed, um, they can open a defined benefit pension plan, and they may be able to shield a larger sum of income than even through the other mechanisms. So when you're a single person entity, a single employee entity, the solo 401k plan, the pension plan, there's just more options out there. Now, when you start at saying, okay, well, we're actually a team of two or we're a team of three, then it becomes a, a more complicated in the sense that there are now maybe rules and regulations around if we're going to pay for this person's retirement, we have to have a mechanism to pay for that person's. And so that's where you'll see the, the SEP IRAs, the simple IRAs, which work for up to 100 employees. There's other simple wrappers. Again, I go back to the term wrapper. Every, everyone's situation is going to be different, but uh, not everybody needs a full-blown 401k plan with a third party and all of the fees and all the structures. You might, but you should look into it before you before you sign on to do that. That's really interesting to know because um, sometimes people want to bring their spouse into their LLC, for example. Like they they say, well, my my husband's going to do the accounting, so we'll have a two member LLC. And it's important to know things like what you just talked about, like with a defined benefit pension, that you have to be a little careful how you set up your company so that 
you don't screw up your potential retirement options. Like, you know, you may not want to have a two-person LLC if you have talked to a financial advisor like yourself and you have it in mind that, oh, this pension plan thing, actually that might work out well. Well, yes, but then if you're entangled with the spouse and that doesn't work out or something like that happens, it could get messy. And then too, you know, I know, however, that you can also restructure your LLC also like my husband died. And so it's like, well, now I am by default and, and we were in it together, which made no sense. But anyway, you can then restructure that to make yourself a one person, but why not try and get it right from the beginning? That's right. This is my thing. Like I like the uncomplicated approach to business management myself. (laughs) So, and it's the same in planning. If you can explain it in three or four sentences, here's what I do in my plan and you feel good about it, not only are you more likely to stick to it, but you're more likely to put money into it and, 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 and enjoy it along the way as it grows, rather than there's this structure and, and we're going to have to change six things and it's going to have to go to two lawyers and then my accountant's going to get involved. And this guy had this idea and this, you know, it, uh, it'll overwhelm you quickly. And that's not the point. There's so many things about being a small business owner and a, or a freelancer or a sole proprietor that are stressful as it is. And your retirement plan should not be one of those that adds an additional layer of stress to your life. It should be the other way. It's okay. We set it up. We feel good about it. And we don't have to spend half of our week um, in the maintenance of it. Yes, exactly. That, that's why I think people fall off from contributing. It's because it just gets too complicated. If you put it on autopilot, which I'm a fine one to talk because I did not do that up until recently. But if you put it on autopilot, then it gets done. And like you say, the simpler it is, the easier it is to just keep going with it. Um, Another question that I get in the stat coaching is, what if I'm leaving a nursing job where I had a pension, which still, I think there are a few out there, especially, you know, we have nurses in our program who have been nurses for 30 to 40 years. And so, um, or they have an employer 401k that they're now going to be shifting, transitioning out of clinical practice into having their own business. Does that come into play when you're thinking about setting up a, a retirement plan for your freelance business at all? It can. It certainly goes into the planning. Uh, because at the high level, you have to, as you're planning for retirement, you have to think about these different buckets of money that came from a previous employer that may still have, you may still have a future right to under a pension plan. And you've got that. And then you're thinking about the new and you want them to work together. So at, at a high level, I'm thinking about someone's personal wealth as a big umbrella, as if we're sheltering you know, their savings account, their IRA account, their employer account, all their money is working together as as one well-oiled machine. And that's how you hope that it becomes. And what I often find is that uh, the disorganization happens at at job changes where someone will leave and and start this new um, and start this new enterprise, but they've left their previous strategy behind. And it sometimes, whether it's lost or it's pseudo forgotten, or it gets just logged into to check once a year, it's not actually being actively considered. And it's, uh, even if it's in the back of, of your head, you know, I know that money's still there. 
it's not being planned with. And so um, whether it stays in a separate account, sometimes there are reasons that it should stay with a previous employer or the, there's a pension or a death benefit, some kind of reason. Every plan is different. So I don't want to give too specific an advice. But whether it stays somewhere, whether it moves together to your new uh, retirement plan and, and you're seeing them together on one login screen, you should always be thinking about them together and cohesively as this is my money, whether it's in this bucket or that bucket, the buckets together and they they work together towards towards the plan and towards the goal. And oftentimes people are surprised at when you take your real estate, which isn't always your retirement plan, and you take your all those retirement assets accumulated over the years that sometimes they haven't been rolled over into one account and they may be in four or five pieces. And it's a great exercise to say, well, what is my personal net worth? Uh, not to say, you know, I'm on this level of status and I'm looking for the next, but just to do an, a, an evaluation. It's a great New Year's resolution. It's a great end of year planning tool to say, if I added up all the things I own. Now, we don't have to pick the chair from the kitchen table, you know, but all the big financial assets and, and large assets. And then what do I owe both on maybe my mortgage or any business debt, any um, credit cards, anything that's outstanding, a car loan. And then we subtract those off and we say, okay, here's where I am. And that's just a great, it's just a great status of here's where, here's where Beth is today. And the goal for next year is to continue to, during your years of accumulation, to grow that number. One day you're going to get to the point where you're going to say, I'm tired of all this and I'd like to stop. And you have at that point a plan to build down the mountain on the other side. Um, but uh I just couldn't say enough. Organization is so helpful, especially when you're in job transition. Well, I was going to say what what I'm hearing is before you go find a financial advisor and talk to them about your options, gather all this information. Like it's a good exercise in not forgetting that you left that 401k behind somewhere and forgot all about it, you know, to go back through your work history and think to yourself, okay, did I have this 401k? Am I still, do I have the login information? What's in there? And then take all that stuff to the financial planner so that you can have the full picture. That's right. And oftentimes in you take long time horizons, it's very easy to say, well, it worked out okay because, you know, something that's invested and long forgotten does generally go up in value and, and, and over long, long stretches. And, and that doesn't mean that it was optimized though. So it's very easy to say, well, it wasn't bad, but what you should aim for is, did it do what you wanted it to? Did it meet your goals or did it, was it optimized? Could it have done better if you had just taken a little bit of time to, and foresight to look at it? Um, so it's a great exercise. It's, it's, it's Maybe fun for people like me, maybe not fun for others, but uh, um, helpful nonetheless, because as you're pulling all the pieces together, you might be surprised at what you find. So what one thing that I have learned since we've um, been setting up retirement stuff for my company is there are there are fees involved. I'm not talking about you all's fee. I'm talking about there are fees involved in setting up, for example, a 401k. Um, what for, for a solo freelancer, can you speak to a little bit like, which are, you could say 
the higher fee plans to set up and maintain versus are there any that don't cost anything at all? Yeah, the the um, the reason that uh, the wrapper can be such an important conversation is because there's a big difference in a traditional 401k. Those are uh, audited and checked every year. There's documents that have to be submitted. There's usually a bond uh, to make sure that if, if uh, everything goes belly up in the company, that the second or third employee in the list gets isn't doesn't lose all their money. There is there's so much that goes into a traditional plan, and there's um, there's always a a couple of fees. One of those is the the ERISA bond, which is set up for the program. There's a third party administrator fee that goes through and checks and makes sure that the plan is set up correctly by the government regulations and it's safe harbor, it doesn't discriminate against employees. So there's there's all those things inside of a traditional plan. And for some people that is, even with the fees, by far the best plan. Because if you have one employee, three employees, five employees, it, it may be the best plan both for you to, to offer for talent, but also for yourself as the, um, as the um, employer. So all that said, that don't let that shy you away from considering. But a solo or Unicaid plan doesn't have these same reporting requirements. In fact, until it has $250,000 in it in the plan itself, which usually takes a number of years, there's no reporting requirements. And then after that, it's really a simple a simple form. Uh, so in, in setting them up, there's not the same, um, the same fees, the same uh, reporting requirements. That would be also true of a, if you're starting at the very base level of an IRA, personal retirement account, or a Roth IRA. Those are just your personal accounts. Again, maybe you're not able to contribute as much as you'd like, but those are places where you're not going to run into, um, into unexpected fees. We, we don't like surprises. And uh, so the wrappers, can, they can come with fees, some of them. So one of the... Um... One of the reasons I love doing business with Cook Wealth is because everything that I need, the accounting, you know, taxes, advisement, retirement, it's all in one package that I pay one monthly fee for. And I always tell people, I, I don't actually understand the philosophy of I'm going to cheap out on all my accounting stuff and try to do my own taxes and, and stuff to save, you know, $500 or well, it's more than that for you guys, but you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to pay a tax repair. I'm going to do it myself. I guess I would say, well, okay, good luck with that. But I'd like to have a professional do that stuff and a professional plan for me. But then I do respect the uh, viewpoint of, of nurses who are just getting started as freelance writers. And they say, you know, I don't have several hundred dollars a month to pay towards a, basically a monthly retainer for these professional services. So can you tell us, first of all, this is a two-part question. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, where they should look for financial planning in terms of retirement. And secondly, could you tell us the distinction between what we, I've heard characterized as like a, a fee-based financial planner versus mm -hmm. um I don't know even what to call them, but like the people who are affiliated with an investment company who will do this for you at no cost if you invest in their products. Sure. Yeah, that, that's an important distinction. And I think it's a, a, it's a concern of mine in the industry at large is that the words financial advisor are um, 
they're generally not the most trusted names uh, among uh, different professions. And there's, in some sense, good reason for that, because much of the industry has been historically built on um, on a, a career that's very, very built around uh, the idea of sales. And so the products and services are built with fees and wrappers that don't necessarily benefit the client. The level of um, the level that they have to reach is just a, a very low level called suitability. It means that, okay, you're not going to get in trouble saying that this person should do this. And, and oftentimes they're looking at one piece of the puzzle. So maybe they're just looking at the investments or you've got an accountant that's just looking at the taxes. You've got someone that's just looking at the financial planning. And unfortunately, when you just kind of put on those goggles and you get that little tunnel vision, it's easy to have folks that will offer these one size fits all approaches to everybody needs this insurance product or everybody needs this um, uh, commissionable uh, mutual fund. And there's oftentimes not a lot of clarity around what it, what what the person you're working with is getting paid. You know, you should go in with a distinctively um, skeptical eye of, well, how do you get paid and why would I choose to do this? Because those are important questions. Um, not everyone who engages with you would act in a fiduciary duty, meaning that they always put your best interests ahead of their own. Um, that was something that was important to me when coming into the industry is knowing that so many people come in and build it as a, a successful sales career. I really wanted to go somewhere where you were, where I, you know, whether the person chose to work with us or not, I knew that if, if I was going to use the analogy, we were in a tennis match together and the the client is my doubles partner and we've got the common enemy of their uh, of all the pitfalls of their life and, and financial plan on the other side of the net, rather than me trying to angle them towards something that benefits me. Um, and I, I think that's slowly changing, but I would say to your listeners, um, that's, that's an important question you should ask going in is um, whether you're going to do it yourself. And there are low cost and low fee opportunities through uh, brokerages. A lot of people choose places like Vanguard or TD Ameritrade or Schwab just to open the basic accounts and get started. Uh, often what I find is that maybe the first few years that that might be all they need um, and a little advice along the way. And then at some point, um, things get to the place where, oh my goodness, I probably shouldn't be running this ship alone without someone in my ear saying, have you even thought about this opportunity? And so, sometimes there are um, there are tax opportunities or things that just aren't being captured. TurboTax only asks so many yes and no questions on their program software and not to pick on them. Um, but there might be something out there, a tax deduction, a tax credit, a, a, a strategy that's just never been considered um, that could be of great benefit or even um, can make a big difference in a, in a financial plan. So uh, I know that's a really long-winded way to say you need to be in a place where if you go it alone, you've got, you, you know where you're going and you keep a simple track, keep a simple track there or get advice and, and get advice from someone who works as a fiduciary. I think personally, when, when you're just starting out, um, that it's perfectly fine to, well, this is exactly what I did. I went to Fidelity and set up a simple plan because I could manage that, you know, and I could make contributions to it and, and I didn't have to have a high level of knowledge about what to do. But then as my- They've gotten better, Beth. They, they now have, most of them have 
like target date retirement mutual funds, things mm-hmm. that are built to say, okay, I don't have both the time or the energy to put into this. And there's every five years, there's a target date 2040, target date 2045, target date 2060. Uh, those things may not be the, the lowest fee or the simplest or even the best, but they are sometimes great starting points to say, okay, I don't know where to start. At least this gets me invested and in the system and moving. And that's important. If I could say you know anything, it's don't stop the planning just because you've left the employer plan. Keep it going, even if it means starting on the simple tracks and not doing um, the, the as complicated work. Exactly. Well, I was going to say, if the important thing is to be saving for retirement. So it's okay to me, again, for nurses who are just starting out in self-employment to pick the simplest, cheapest way to get saving. But then as your business matures and you're making more money, um, then seek out higher level planning. Because something that you said really resonated with me, which was about basically alluding to the fact that I'm not a financial professional. I don't know what all the options are. And so I can't possibly do that planning on my own. I need somebody who can say, here's something you may never have considered. And you know me, I'd be like, I had no idea, really. Like I can do a defined benefit pension plan. I, I would have never thought of that. So once you start being successful as a writer and that money does start flowing in, then you need to go back and revisit your retirement plan and get with somebody like you, Robbie, who can give you all the options, including the ones you may not know about. And the, and the landscape is getting more complicated. The tax laws without going into Washington and all the things that are going on there, uh, that would be a different podcast and maybe a different conversation, but they're changing more rapidly than before. Every few years, there seems to be a pretty major shift in some kind of law for your estate, for your uh, for your taxability of your business, for the taxability of the next income level bracket, and, and, and all the things with all of the credits and offsets. It's it's really becoming um, quite. It's just a complex system out there. And so, not to say that planning is complex and that you have to be stressed about it. It's just. Don't don't feel like you can always go it alone um, the whole way through because it's very fun to, to have someone engage with us. And as I'm pulling in their story and beginning to piece together their tax and financial plan is, hey, they've probably never thought about this. And then to just present it to them as, have you ever heard this or considered this? And um, oftentimes it leads to a planning opportunity that can save, we hope, save significant amount of money. I always say, if I can do something that controls what we can control, we love investments. We love making money in the stock market. Who doesn't? You know, most people will call me and ask me, well, what am I, what, what's going to go up? And that those are fun conversations. But the more fun planning is actually control what you can control 100% and set yourself to where if you know you can make that $5,000 in savings, do it because that is a guarantee. And the other piece, let's be good at and let's make good, build good habits at, but no, 100% control the things that you have 100% of control over. Well, the other nice thing about having a financial planner like you, Robbie, is what you told me when you said, don't look at the markets and stress out, I'll do the stressing for us. Yeah, we grow the ulcers for our clients. It's, it's, it's supposed, you're supposed to live empowered and free from that. Your writers, I hope that they're giving their life to things that they love. Uh, for us, 
it's the capital markets and the um, and the chaos of all of the changing rules and regulations on tax and, and, and investments and income. But for someone that may be listening to your show, they're they're getting life from something totally differently. They're listening to me as I as I dig a little too deep into something technical and they're saying, that sounds miserable, Robbie. I don't want to know more. I, I don't enjoy hearing what you're sharing. And that's okay. That's where a good partnership is built. Is there anything else that you think I should have asked you about, you know, retirement planning for freelance nurse writers that I failed to ask you? You were, I think, incredibly comprehensive. I think every little star that I had on my sticky notepad, you have... Uh, you have asked, asked and answered, hopefully somewhere in there. I've, I've interviewed a few subject matter experts in my career. So <laughs> I like to think that I, I like to think that I cover at least the basics. Investigative journalism, your next career. <laughs> no, gosh, no. <laughs> you know, so just to go on off on a tangent, because the audience may find this interesting, is even as a, a content writer, which is by definition, you're writing it's not journalism at all. It's writing marketing material. But nonetheless, when towards the end of my writing career, I would always start out by reassuring subject matter experts that I, I was not there to trap them. I'm not an investigative reporter. I'm trying to put everybody in the best light. That's my job as a content writer so that they would loosen up and give me the, the gold nuggets of information I need for the client, you know? Because today, everybody thinks if you're a writer, you must be digging the dirt, writing the gossip. No, no. Well, Robbie, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, we'd love to have you back again next year. Let's We could do one for like end of year planning, stuff you should be doing with your retirement. Because so many of our audience will be having a lot of success by the end of next year. So. I hope so. I, I have no doubt with your coaching. Oh, thank you. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, awesome. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And until next time, keep pitching. <laughs>